The consumer's quickly starting to demand sustainability and investment from consumers. And you don't want to be a company that's caught on the wrong side of this. It takes time. Welcome to Mission Critical, a podcast about the big picture, the purpose, and the values that drive today's most game-changing companies, entrepreneurs, and leaders. I'm your host, Lance Chung, Editor-in-Chief of Bay Street Bull, and I'll be introducing you to a group of brilliant minds who are making an impact on the world and forging the path ahead. While they may all be very different from one another, the question remains the same. What's your mission? Getting dressed is a fundamental part of our daily decision-making process. And while our collective experience in assembling our outfits ranges from intense thought to afterthought, this ubiquitous daily ritual is one that has far-reaching implications that we often don't consider enough. Think about what you decided to wear this morning, or even what you're wearing now. How often do you think about how your garments were manufactured, or the journey they took to eventually land in your closet? What kind of resources did they consume, and what was the impact it had on the environment when it was made? It's hardly a secret that the fashion industry is a major culprit when it comes to environmental pollution. According to a 2018 United Nations climate change report, the fashion industry, a $2.5 trillion industry, contributes to nearly 20% of total wastewater pollution and 10% of global greenhouse gas emissions due in part to its extensive supply chains and energy-sucking production. In fact, the fashion industry consumes more energy than the aviation and shipping industries combined. It's clear that things need to change, and there are companies out there that are leading the charge in their efforts to create a more sustainable, environmentally positive future. Reformation is a popular women's clothing brand with the mission to bring sustainable fashion to the masses. You may have heard of them through your friends or seen their collection of airy, carefree apparel as you scroll through your Instagram feed. What started out in 2009 as a vintage clothing store quickly evolved into a fashion brand with a core focus on making people look great without hurting the environment in doing so. Since 2015, Reformation, or REF as they're colloquially known, has been carbon neutral, which means they've achieved net zero carbon dioxide emissions and aim to be climate positive by 2025. That's right, they're aiming to suck out more carbon from the atmosphere than they're putting in to create an overall environmental benefit. Their 2020 Year in Review Sustainability Report, which you can view at the link in our description, also shows that they were able to reuse or recycle 417,800 garments in that year alone. They also recently launched a denim collection that features fiber trace, a technology that allows the end user to trace the entire life cycle of their jeans via scannable pigments woven directly into the fabric. Before a company built so firmly on a foundation of transparency and progressive values, they've also had to face their own demons along the way. In 2020, then-CEO and founder Yael Aflalo stepped down from her position after allegations of racism from previous employees made their way online. This was at the height of the Black Lives Matter movement. The brand initiated an independent investigation to look into the workplace concerns, launched a diversity and inclusion board, and mandated that their diversity goals would be outlined in their quarterly sustainability report to keep themselves accountable. They were committed to right the wrongs, but the experience ultimately had consumers and industry experts asking whether a company, on the grounds of principle alone, can truly be sustainable if it doesn't value equality. In this episode, I'm speaking with CEO Hallie Borenstein, who assumed the role after Yael stepped down, and Chief Sustainability Officer Kathleen Talbot about what Reformation has learned as an organization since their 2020 reckoning. 
how they're keeping themselves accountable to their commitments, and how environmental and racial justice are connected. Hallie Bornstein, Kathleen Talbot, it's so nice to be chatting with you today. How are you? We are hanging in there. I said uh, <laughs> recently, good does not feel like the right descriptor anymore. So I think we are all hanging in and, and getting by as well as we can. Excited for kind of the future and the progress we're seeing um, over the coming months. Yeah, that's the mantra, I think, for all of us right now. Hanging in there, doing the best we can, taking each step as the information presents itself and next steps present themselves and feeling hopeful. One step at a time. Well, I'm so glad that we could be chatting today. There's a lot for us to talk about today. So why don't we start with who is the Reformation Girl? How has she changed over the years as the company has evolved or or has she changed? Is there a new Reformation Girl? Um, we can start there. I think what's really interesting and different about Reformation is we don't have one single customer the customer base that we attract is really broad. And that's because from day one, we started with the idea of bringing together two worlds that weren't often coupled. So reformation is predicated on the idea that you shouldn't have to choose sustainability or style, and you can really have both. And when reformation was started, that was not a common uh, idea. Right? When you thought about sustainable clothing, you thought knits and basics. You really didn't think about elevated product that you can use across all of the occasions in your life. And so Reformation has been a business that can attract a very broad base of customers because of the fact that um, we bring together these two things that are really critical to so many people um, in a way that no one else does. We became famous and known for dresses and more occasion wear very early on. But because we're a direct-to-consumer business, we really had a very close relationship with the customer. And so we were able to get feedback and really understand where the customer was going, what the demands were for the customer. And so what you saw us do is continue to, to move into new categories and new types of product where we could attract an even broader base of customers based on the feedback we're getting. So 2016, we, we started Bridal. And Bridal was directly because customers were calling our customer love team, our customer service line and saying, you know, we really want something to wear to this dress. Can you help us? There's nothing good out there. And so it was like an aha moment for us. 2017, we got into denim because it is the least sustainable part of your wardrobe. And there were so many customers out there who said, I need a, a sustainable everyday pair of denim and ones that actually look really good on me. And, you know, I think another example of us broadening that base and broadening the audience in which we serve is just recently, last week, we launched our activewear line, which is one of the most sustainable offerings out there, but it looks great. There's great colors, great silhouettes. And so with that part of our offering, we now can meet an even broader, a wider group of customers that we weren't servicing before. Right. So you've got a, a diverse group of customers, but the common denominator is this shared value set uh, grounded in sustainability and, and, and those kind of values. Definitely. Now, I want to definitely build on the sustainability initiatives because I think it's really, you know, that is a big part of the dialogue that we're having right now when it comes to the impact that 
we as individuals are making, but also as as companies. But I want to just touch on some of the stuff that happened in you know 2020. Um, Reformation went through a bit of a reckoning in 2020 after uh, some allegations of racism surfaced on social media from past employees, resulting in the departure of then CEO and and founder Yael Aflalo. What have you learned from this experience as an organization since then? It was certainly a really challenging time for our organization. When we spent time and really looked into the past five, 10 years of growth, we saw a company that did a lot well. And we were a leader in sustainability. We grew really quickly, had a ton of innovation, especially on the technology side. But there were certainly areas where we didn't grow fast enough and didn't invest enough. And I'd say we have an opportunity today to invest more into our people and our team and the HR processes and resources that we offer to ensure that all of our team members across all of our locations, which is now global, that we really are providing the right support for our team so that they can grow and thrive while being a team member at Reformation. And so we've invested a lot in um, building that infrastructure out, uh, whether it be through tools, team, leadership, um, and just having those really hard conversations that organizations need to have, especially small ones that grow very quickly. So what would you say has changed in terms of, you know, what are you doing differently? Um, What are some of the safeguards that have been implemented to keep yourselves accountable to these new, um, you know, policies, this new structure um, that you've implemented within the company? First and foremost, we brought on a chief people officer. So Monique McLeod is our chief people officer, and she is absolutely Uh, my partner in helping to make sure we bring best in class practices to our organization. We needed to go external to make sure we had expertise. And so she really is that voice for us on the leadership team. With her work, we've done everything from revisiting our core values to make sure they're still relevant from when we first introduced them five, six years ago to looking at the growth and development plans and the way we talk about uh, reviews and coaching for our team. Uh, We've looked into management training and we've introduced much more extensive diversity, equity, and inclusion training as well. All very important steps to ultimately drive just a better result for, for our team and our company. And just like, you know, what we do with sustainability, we're extraordinarily transparent. So with sustainability, we have a sustainability report where every quarter we provide very clear metrics on what we did well and what we didn't do well. And so we're applying that same methodology to our people progress here. And in our sustainability reports, we're incredibly public and transparent about the work we're doing and what's going well and what's not going well. And so that's some of the hard work um, we're doing and it ensures that we're holding ourselves accountable and that our team and our customer can also hold us accountable as well. I was taking a look at the the 2020 sustainability report. It's very impressive. I you know there's a lot of information there and I think it really kind of goes back to the key tenet of the company being about transparency. And so I was quite impressed and and while I was going through it is just really interesting to see that you're acknowledging some of the the hurdles that you need to overcome, but also, you know, trying to hold yourselves accountable to it. Now, when I was looking through that report, it did have a breakdown of the um, diversity, equity, and inclusion at Reformation. And there was a breakdown of your team where it's, you know, it broke it down to 54% Latino, 27% white, 
10% Asian, 5% at our two or more races, 4% Black and 0% being Native American. Does that look any different today since the report was published? I know that that was 2020 and we're only you know, a few months into the new year, but um, has that changed since that that report was published? It's continuously changing. And um, we've been really thoughtful about, we're not setting clear benchmarks and goals of what the numbers should look like. What we strive for is progress and making sure we're constantly moving the right direction to attract a diverse employee base across all of our locations so that we can have a really diverse point of view and represent a broader customer base as well when we're coming up with our product. So, you know, I don't know the exact numbers in the report, but I believe even if you look at our leadership team today, the numbers have changed pretty meaningfully over the last couple of months. So we're focused on making sure we're, we're doing better in this, uh, like consistently, and that we're talking to more candidates when we recruit, that we're pulling from a broader pool and meeting different um, types of candidates that wouldn't naturally be attracted to a LinkedIn post on reformation. So that work up front is definitely paying dividends for us. And I noticed on that report, you know, one of the things that you've done to acknowledge that is, is taking more DNI culture workshops. Um, what are some of the bigger takeaways that you've walked away from these workshops that have really stood out to you or have been very impactful for you uh, as an organization or even as an individual and as a leader within the company? I think what's been most impactful for me is really understanding how important it is to make space to have these conversations and to listen. I think we are often so focused on going and we're so results oriented and we have all these big goals and aspirations that we don't stop and pause and just ask the simple question, how are you doing? How can I support you? And doing that in more ways than one, whether it be small group listening sessions, whether it be really much more empathetic and um, deeper dialogue between the manager and the individual employee. I think the need for all of us to slow down and really have these conversations is incredibly important in terms of building a, a very productive and healthy uh, work environment. I mean, as much work as Monique and I and the, the rest of the wonderful people team are going to do in terms of building tools and structure, if we don't slow down as an organization and really make space and have these conversations, it won't actually have the real results and the lasting results. Um, and sometimes those conversations are really uncomfortable and not particularly fun, but that's the important stuff that has to happen to make real strides forward. Definitely. I think we've spoken to a lot of uh, big business leaders and there's, and even just the culture of work that we exist in today as a society is really just always about output, 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 go, you know, being on the go all the time. And there is not enough of a, an emphasis on input as well. And just sometimes sitting there and, and just listening, not always having to speak on every subject or having to talk all the time. It is equally, if not more important to also listen to your community and, and your, your team as well. So now in your 2020 sustainability report, it states that you believe that environmental and racial justice are closely linked together. I think that's really interesting. So how, how are those two linked together from your perspective, Hallie, and as, as well as yours, Kathleen? So one of our values, and this is a new value, when, when I said a couple moments ago that we restated and rebuilt our values, it was really to be reflective of the world we're living in and the team that we have today. And so today, one of our values clearly says that 
our focus is to preserve and protect both the natural environment and the people and the communities that make up our world. I think in the time of the pandemic, this is more highlighted and more prominent than ever before. The ways in which we are all connected has become even more evident. And frankly, doing the right thing by both people and the planet has become more relevant too and more of a demand from our customers and from each person as a global citizen. So by doing the work for both the environment and the people will have the most broad impact on our community. And Kathleen, being the Chief Sustainability Officer, do you have anything to add to that in terms of how these two are linked together? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's something that we've been talking about more as a team in kind of the 2020 context, especially like Hallie mentioned. But, you know, what's interesting is that we always took a really holistic view of sustainability at Reformation. Um, We had social responsibility as like a key pillar of our practice and our commitments from day one. And, you know, especially in the fashion industry, who made your clothes, understanding the conditions and really like ensuring the ethical manufacturing throughout your supply chain has always been such a a key focus. So for us, we've been very people-centered in that respect. And we realized that we needed to do a better job of communicating the link that climate action you do not just for you know kind of these like transcendent environmental reasons but you also do it to protect the communities that are going to be most affected by you know the climate crisis and so we realized that as a brand we could use our platform and our already the the work and the commitments we've made to just make those linkages even more clear and make sure that we were reinforcing again not just our commitment to a lower carbon footprint for the sake of it, <laughs> but but for the real impact that's going to have on our global communities and our responsibility to really drive for, to Hallie's point, preserving and, and protecting the communities in which we work. Now, sustainability has become a bit of a buzzy word these days. So, It's a little bit of a a nebulous term nowadays. How do you define it and what does it mean to you within um, the perspective of your team and and your work that you're doing? Yeah, I mean, I have sustainability in my title and I still struggle with this one sometimes because to your point, it gets thrown around and used in so many different contexts and so many different ways. I always like to pull back and remember what we're ultimately trying to solve, you know? And for me, sustainability is one of the biggest global challenges we all face. It's really describing like an end goal, right? If you take like the textbook definition, what we're trying to do is make sure that we can protect the ability of future generations to keep operating the way that they are today, having access to the same resources and the same quality of life that we have today. And that's really aspirational. And that's not something that, you know, I think is, simple or elegant enough to like fit inside a box that we we kind of want to use for, for marketing purposes, right? Like as soon as you're talking about future generations, like you lose a lot of people, like we're not very good at thinking about the future. So, you know, for me, I catch myself using sustainable or sustainability to like describe activities like recycling or products, you know, like distress. And that's not exactly accurate, right? Like these are are or this dress was made with fewer resources 
in a responsible manufacturing supply chain. Um, but it's not sustainable, right? Like what we're trying to show through what we, we do at Reformation is that if we all made our stuff following those practices and following those commitments, hopefully we'd get closer to realizing that kind of global endpoint. We'd be building a sustainable future together. So for us, we're really focused on what are those big and small decisions? How can we um, push for better? And how can we really drive the most positive impact we can for, for people on the planet? And I think that's what we're really pushing for when we talk about our, our sustainability efforts. Now, would you consider Reformation to be a fashion-focused sustainability brand or a sustainability-focused fashion brand first? They're kind of similar, but the, there's a nuanced difference between the two in terms of what guides decision-making and values, I think. You know, I think Hallie did a really good job, you know, kind of tackling this in some ways earlier where, you know, REF was really founded on the concept that you shouldn't have to choose, that you could deliver a more sustainable product and it could be beautiful um, and be really compelling and something that you, you wanted to buy and wear to begin with, you know? So I think for us, there really was a challenge to say, how can we bring those things together? How can we couple that? And how can we make sure that we're not offering a better product from an impact point of view, but that has these incredible trade-offs and doesn't really like meet the customer where they are and what, what they need and want to, to wear today. So I think there's sort of a natural orientation to be more product first at REF and make sure that we are delivering the best impact. We are innovating within the space, but we're not going to adopt anything that's going to deliver anything less than the best product possible. We look a lot at analogous industries. So you can look at the car industry and what Tesla did for cars or organic foods and what Whole Foods did to really popularize those product categories. The product had to be great. The experience had to be great. But with those two things at par, then you really give the choice to a customer because they're not going to not drive. They're, they're not going to stop eating. They're not going to stop buying clothing, even if, if that is the most sustainable option. So really it's about giving an equal or better product and then also helping to educate the customer about why is this another option and what is the impact of this so that they can also feel good. Now, I'm curious, you know, in your experience, what are the barriers to entry that a company might face if they're looking to start a sustainable driven company or integrate more sustainable practices, is it accessible? Are those practices and tactics something that anyone can do? Or do you need a certain scale in order to really be able to implement that line of thinking and, and those principles? There's not like a clear path for how to do this work. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're seeing a, a rise in brands that have the desire but maybe aren't getting beyond some of the initial marketing, right? Or those, those first steps, because it can be challenging, can be hard, especially to do something that's going to actually transform the way in which we work, the way in which we make products, not just be a plug-in to an existing model. So we get asked this all the time. We talk to startups and, and other emerging fashion companies. Probably the easiest places to start is doing a swap like, like for like, you know, how can you adopt better materials? Maybe it doesn't require retooling your supply chain, but opting for that organic cotton instead of conventional and making those smaller sourcing decisions 
that ultimately will drive a lot of impact throughout your product and, and your life cycle. But for those that aren't mission driven in the same way, I think the prospects of taking a margin hit on paying for better materials and paying fair wages is, is really scary. And there's still not really a sense of if the customer is willing to go along that, that journey with you and have a willingness to pay and, and share some of that cost. So you framed it up, Lance, around like, can everybody get involved? Can everybody make changes? I think we're at a place where there's almost like a moral imperative to Is there a business case outside of just being the right thing to do? Is there a business case to approach greener initiatives that, you know, can be a bit more of a convincing argument outside of just being values-based for a business owner or a company to pursue in the same way that I guess having a, a diverse team, there's an actual business case for that. It's like the billion dollar question. Um, and again, one that we, we get asked a lot and I think, um, it's, I'm actually really encouraged. There's been good progress in this. Um, a lot more research, um, a lot more case studies and in, in trying to understand what is the return on some of these investments when it, when it comes to, to mission or, you know, sustainability initiatives. And so um, we actually participated in a case study to quantify and monetize the return on some of our circularity initiatives. You know, I think others have done that when they think of people programs. So if you live your mission and you offer more to your team, what does that actually translate to in terms of greater retention and productivity? And I think a lot of the, the results of, of that analysis is really positive. It does suggest that there is clear financial return on a lot of these initiatives. One of the things that I, I like to think is that you're not going to win them all. You know, we're always looking for that sweet spot where there's like the win, win, win. And those should be the ones that are like the no brainers. And then I think use that accounting to have kind of revolving funds and say, okay, we're going to take, we're going to take the revenue generation. We're going to take the savings on those and, and invest them in the things that might not have as straightforward of a return. There are a lot of studies out there and they're going to show mixed reviews in terms of efficacy and financial returns. But really what it comes down to is the consumer's quickly starting to demand sustainability and investment from consumers. And you don't want to be a company that's caught on the wrong side of this. It takes time. It takes resources. And so, you know, just from our own customer engagement between surveys and just social media engagement, I can tell you very confidently the customer has accelerated uh, the concern and the focus on sustainable causes. And so the broader business case is it's going to become table stakes to do something here. I mean, it's true. And people lead their purchasing decisions through their values and brand loyalty, if it aligns with their values. And on the on the opposite end, if it doesn't align with your values, people will actually campaign, you know, with their network to, you know, make sure that the others are not engaging with that brand too. It's, you know, word of mouth is very, very powerful. And leading with those values is going to be even more, more and more um, significant as, as we move forward. Now, in the sustainability report, there's a lot of language around being climate positive. Can you just break down in just the layman's term, like what does it mean to be climate positive? You can briefly kind of talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. And this is another one where, you know, the industry is just starting to adopt some of this language. And well, that's one of the reasons why we wanted to make a really clear climate positive commitment and roadmap is lead through 
transparently defining it and saying what that's going to mean for us, you know, because I think this is also one of those things, you know, in the crystal ball, like you can see this term being abused so badly in the next few years. So for us, climate positive means really going beyond the net zero carbon emissions to actually creating an environmental benefit. So to like kind of oversimplify it, you know, we're removing more carbon dioxide from the atmosphere than we're emitting. Now, one of the new initiatives is the fiber trace reformation collection. What's unique about that uh, collection specifically and, and fiber trace technology? Yeah. So the fiber trace and reformation collection is starting out as a capsule collection. So it'll be a denim collection, um, including four jeans, pair of shorts, and a jacket. But what's really special about this collection is that it's using technology from Australian-based fiber trace. And what they do is they actually embed a like scannable luminescent pigment into the fabric so that we as a, as a brand and as a customer of a fiber trace, but also our customers can follow denim's entire life cycle from fiber to production and finish, finished goods. You know, Hallie was even talking about our sustainability reports and like our commitment to transparency. This is a real extension of that commitment and saying, don't take our word for it. How can we really empower our customer with the information and give them um, really the behind the scenes look into where their stuff was made, when, how, from what materials, and do that using nanotechnology and some things that are, are honestly just pretty cool to help tell that story and, and connect the dots. I mean, I think it's really incredible that that innovation even exists. I mean, it's not something that you would even necessarily expect to be able to have um, access to as a consumer. This might be a bit of an oversimplified question, but like, why should the everyday consumer care about traceability and what do they do with that information? Because it's one thing to have that information at your fingertips, but it's another thing to be able to digest it, distill it, make meaning of it. Uh, what is the everyday consumer that is not reading up on innovation and and the the fashion industry and everything? And like, why should they care? And what do they do with that information? It's such a good question, and it's one of that I think again internally we have this conversation where like you know we can geek out on something and then I'll bring it to Hallie or I'll bring it to someone else on the team and they ask me exactly that like, come on, Kathleen, like break it down, like why why should we care? Why does this actually matter? You know, like we're not just adopting innovation for innovation's sake, but what is this ultimately driving? And so when I think about this, our customer shouldn't have to care about traceability. They shouldn't actually even have to really know the term, you know, like it's, that's not a very like consumer friendly thing at all. What they want is to make sure that there's no harm going on behind the scenes, that something that they're purchasing isn't contributing to damage of the environment or unethical treatment of, of the people behind their stuff. Again, when we get feedback from our customers, when we, we survey and talk to them, what they want is to not feel guilty and to feel like they are investing in when they're buying RAF is investing in that better product. So they don't have to care about traceability. What they care about is that the brands actually are delivering on that assurance that their product isn't part of the problem, it's part of the solution. And so I think traceability for us as a brand is critical because we can actually 
identify what facilities we're making things in, that means that we can then go back in and monitor and ensure that there is actual better impact for people on the planet at each step of the supply chain. So it is one of those things that's kind of interesting. So you don't like, you wanna bring the customer along the journey, but they shouldn't actually have to care too much. They just wanna have the end result. And this is one way for them to, to see that we are doing that diligence and we are checking at each stage and delivering that confidence. Going back to our conversation around sustainability being a bit of a buzzy word, there are a lot of companies out there that use that as, as a buzzy word that definitely greenwash their products and greenwash the brands to kind of jump on the bandwagon, so to speak. What are some red flags that consumers should know about when navigating the retail landscape, navigating the consumer goods landscape uh, in terms of what separates a company that is greenwashing and just using it as a marketing ploy and, and one that's actually grounded in those values? What's interesting about it is I don't think there's actually like that much outright lying, right? Like, I don't think, I don't even think a lot of brands are trying to necessarily mislead. I think because we lack a shared definition and alignment around sustainability, I think, again, there's sort of this trend where you can have a green product, but from a, you know, quote unquote, dirty company. And I think that's probably the one that, that I see the most that consumers should just be thoughtful about, you know, like apply kind of some, some good judgment and a lens through their own shopping decisions. The other thing, especially in fashion that, that you see a lot is just some like vague claims or things that just don't have any relevance, but get used to, to kind of market products is better. So I think the one that I see the most is, you know, looking at cotton or a natural fiber and marketing that heavily as like natural and biodegradable which is technically true, but pretty misleading. Cause I think when, when you see those terms thrown around, customers think that that is the same as organic as the kind of premium and like better sourcing solution when it's not any different than any other or like cotton product. So in general, we can all agree that greenwashing is real. <laughs> we can all agree that we need to, to be a little bit wary, look for proof, look for evidence that, that again, this stuff is going beyond the surface level and, and beyond the marketing claim and, and actually um, changing how, how the product's made and, and what its ultimate impact is going to be. So I think there's also hopefully going to be a kind of recovery of the marketing narrative and people getting back to, again, like, why are we doing this to begin with? How can we focus on, on talking around the wins and the solutions that do matter? for the brands and for the customers um, and hopefully kind of return to a little bit more of that authentic interaction. This question is for both of you, because I think from your perspectives with, you know, working within the sustainability initiative and then Hallie um, overseeing kind of all touch points of the company, I had a, an interesting chat with Joey Zwillinger at Allbirds and we were talking about the difference between progress and perfection and you know what's more important from both your standpoints, Hallie, maybe we start with you first. What is more important from a business standpoint, uh, progress or perfection? Do you roll out to market something when you believe it's perfect and you're happy with it? Or is it better just to kind of incrementally make progress and evolve as you go? 
Uh, we're an organization that's really focused on progress. And I'd say, obviously, from a sustainability front, we need to make progress today. We can't wait. So there's an impetus to, to action as soon as possible. But even when we think about technology or product innovation, new categories, uh, we really believe that we can learn as we go and get better as we go. And so we're constantly trying to take a step forward, keep close to our customers, really stay abreast of the industry and what the trends are going on around us and make ourselves better every day. I mean, ultimately our vision is to bring sustainability to everyone. It's not gonna be easy and it's not gonna happen tomorrow, but every day if we continue to make progress, we will get closer and closer to that. And so that's really how we think about our goal setting. That's how we think about our team. And that's how we think about accomplishments um, and feeling really good about the work we're doing every day. The only thing I, I would I would chime in is when you think around sustainability initiatives in particular, this is also an area where you know there is a sense of urgency. You're never going to have complete data. You're never going to have complete consensus. Um, and so one of the things that that we have really applied to our work is take what is available, also like take advice. <laughs> so, so go out to the industry groups, get get the expert opinion on what really dri will drive the most impact, get the directional um, kind of orientation and then go. And to Hallie's point, like you'll learn through doing, you'll keep making progress. And as long as you know that you're headed in the right direction, we're all about even like stumbling our way forward if that's what it's going to take. And so for us, again, we have learned to be bold and brave kind of at the front line and, and doing some things before, you know, it was more common practice, like a rough scale tool, actually reporting the, the carbon and water footprint of everything we made well before, like that was blessed by the industry, <laughs> you know, and I think it really helped inform a lot of decisions for us and, and helped empower our customers. And I still think it was the right thing to do, even though we're evolving that and now aligning that with tools as, as they're available. Maybe we can pivot to talking about like, what are you most excited about in the road ahead and, and moving forward? I'm very excited about the future. We went through a really challenging time as a, a, a country, a world, and I think we're all coming out of this stronger and more connected than ever. And I believe Reformation is poised to have a bigger impact today than ever before. Our team is really, really strong. Our mission is incredibly clear and frankly, more important than ever, as Kathleen was saying. And so I am very focused on how we grow our impact. And that's everything from expansion of product categories, geographic expansion, which is a big focus for us because our, our message and our brand really does resonate globally. It's not just a problem that um, is we're facing here at home. And then also on the sustainability front, really putting more of our time, more of our resources into being at the forefront of making very big commitments to help drive more change in the industry. One of the ways that Kathleen really in, engages with the industry is not just focusing on reformation and what we're doing, but sharing the knowledge, sharing the progress we make so that we can help other companies do more as well. And I think that is probably one of the most, one of the greatest impacts that we can have is by helping the industry to move forward beyond just our own product and our own footprint. So we have a lot of exciting things ahead of us. 
um, stay tuned. 2021 uh, will be really, really exciting. Yeah, I think it is around how can we keep investing and, and realizing some of those, you know, sustainability wins along the way and and sharing it out to, to drive broader engagement and broader change. I think looking at already some of the product launch and, and kind of buzz in 2021, like the FiberTrace launch, you know, this is also our first product that actually sources from a climate positive farm. So that's another kind of angle in. It's our first launch of regenerative fibers and, and a climate positive product. It feels really exciting and motivating to have these big aspirational goals um, stretch us kind of beyond where we're comfortable in terms of making like the, the climate positive commitment, but also be able to, to start to showcase some of the solutions right away. Well, thank you so much for your time, Hallie and Kathleen. It's been a great chat, um, very insightful, and I'm excited to see all the things that you roll out uh, moving forward and, and where Reformation goes. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. Reformation is proof that even some of the most forward-thinking brands in the world sometimes need to take a step back to reevaluate, reflect, and transform. They're making some incredible strides in their sustainability efforts and are widely considered as industry leaders in this regard. But if today's leading companies truly want to lead, they must intersect their values to include diversity, inclusion, and equality alongside their other mandates like protecting the environment. These things are linked together, and as Hallie mentions, we're all connected as human beings. Doing the right thing by the people and environment will have the broadest impact to collectively move us all forward. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd appreciate it if you left a review on Apple Podcasts so we can get the word out. To keep up to date, subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, ask yourself, what's your mission?